0: Before we get started on today's episode, this is part two of a two-part conversation with Dan Putt and Andy Christinger. They are Nathan Berry and my executive coaches. And if you haven't already, make sure to check out episode 42 for part one of this conversation, which will put this second half in its right context. Welcome to The Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Barrett Brooks. I'm the COO at ConvertKit. My co-host is our CEO, Nathan Barry. We're on a mission to help creators earn a living, and this is a show about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. There's um, a couple of things that I want us to get to here. One is this tendency to compare our grief to the grief others must be feeling. And another, I think for a lot of creators is fear related to taking that time. And so I want to get there, but first I want to acknowledge a couple of people that have really shared meaningful things and in, in the chat and just kind of open those up. Cause I think they'll relate to those two topics. Hmm. Um, Brooke shared that she's been sleeping more than normal and that while her mind not be, might not be consciously processing her stress and grief, her body is, and she knows that needing that extra rest. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, Andy, that's something you and I actually talked about was rest on a recent call. Uh, Anika, just related to the fact that avoidance is certainly something that she's been going through. And then Emily shared something that I think will, will put us right into this comparison thing, which is sometimes she has a hard time admitting grief. I'm interpreting this as compared to what other people might call grief, Mm. uh, things that might seem trivial or silly or unimportant sometimes are hard to label with that term yeah. if someone else doesn't understand it. And so part of the power of this kind of conversation is creating shared language, yep. shared habits around this stuff. So let's get into the comparison thing. You know, is my grief valid? I guess is kind of the topic here.
1: I want to build on that. Cause when I saw Emily's comment, I felt very seen <laughs> because I was like, that's <laughs> me. <laughs> Can I feel guilty over my grief? You know, or like if you want to elevate sadness, do grief and like dig in, then you're like, should I feel guilty that I can't do this thing that is totally trivial, you know, or if I'm struggling in my business, my business is doing just fine compared to so many other people. So maybe I feel guilty for feeling those things. And so I'd love for um, both of you to weigh in on, on this, this feeling of, of uh, guilt or comparison or all of that, of, you know, any of those things that could be getting us, could be getting in the way of us actually feeling the things that we need to feel.
2: So bad when I ask you questions. Uh, <laughs> That's the most coach response ever. <laughs> uh I want to ask I want to ask uh Emily questions too, but I, I I'll resist that. Um actually no, I just want to ask I'll ask a simpler one and maybe not a threatening one, which is um you said something about I should shouldn't or shouldn't feel bad. Mm-hmm. Um And so should or shouldn't according to who?
1: Yeah. And I think that that's always um, like the two things that come to mind for me would be maybe my own perception of how I should be. Like, I feel like I'm still working through this idea that uh, say like grief or sadness or any of these things are on the opposite side of, say if we have a coin, there's strength and resilience on one side and grief and sadness on the other, which I don't intellectually believe to be true at all. Mm -hmm. But like, it's an easy trap to fall into. So that would be one side of it of like, oh, I shouldn't feel this because I should be strong. Um, Or then on the other side is more of that comparison side of things of like um, me telling myself I shouldn't feel this thing because I've actually got it pretty easy. You know, I didn't have to figure out how my whole company was going to work remotely and change the way that we've worked for seven years because of a pandemic. I just woke up the next day and said, huh, I'm working from home again. You know, and so if I have problems to overcome in this, it's nothing compared to the problems Mm -hmm. that other people have. So Mm -hmm. I'm telling myself that, you know, their problems are more substantial and I, you know, shouldn't bring my trivial (laughs) issues into the conversation, you know, if that makes sense. Or
0: maybe even that we don't deserve to. You know, I think sometimes that's it for me is do I deserve to feel grief when my relative who lost their job or my friend who's on unemployment or you know, my friends who run a coffee company are literally just fighting to stay alive. Like, do I, do I deserve to also feel sadness and grief? Um, in the face of those things, I think I love that question of who's on the other side of it. Hmm. Cause there's always in my mind, someone and not always named that comes to mind immediately of if they saw that, if they heard me saying I was sad, what would their reaction be?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: One thing that comes up for me in this, um, and I do want to I want to address this point first, but I would love for us to come back to Nathan something that you said around um, our our grief and resiliency at odds because I think that may be a, a conception that a lot of folks hold that we that we may want to address in just a moment. But let me first kind of talk about the comparison piece. Um, this is something you know Dan and I we see this quite often with with clients. And I think it's part of the human experience. Um, and particularly with folks who are sensitive to and conscious of their own privilege. If we want to be the kind of people who, who live with a consciousness of our privilege. We won't, don't want to take that for granted. We don't want to um, be tone deaf to that. So, often it's coming from that kind of a place, uh, like a well-intended place of Hey, I, I, don't, I want to be, and also want to be grateful for the good things that I have. But then we absolutize that and we make it this completely either or thing that either I have privilege and therefore I have no right to feel pain, acknowledge loss, uh, or I can do those things, in which case I, I better be sure that there's nobody else who has it worse than me. And what I think that ends up doing is it separates us from the rest of humanity. So we end up that move is an alienating move and what i would say is we can hold both of those things to be true at the same time we can it's almost like shift switching out lenses on a camera there's one lens that can allow me to see the relative privilege that i live in and feel grateful for that and actually ask myself perhaps how might i use that to um, invest in the world invest in others and then there's another lens that's perhaps a little bit more narrowly focused that actually acknowledges that I also am a human being living an experience and I can't connect with the rest of humanity without living into and feeling my own experience. And so therefore I should acknowledge, I must acknowledge or I'm being inauthentic to myself and and the rest of my relationships when I am in pain, when I'm feeling loss. And those yeah. those two lenses are not in conflict with one each with one another.
2: Hmm. Yeah, and maybe just a small build on that. Um, and what if you feeling into your grief just because you feel it and not necessarily because it, you know, this event was big enough to feel grief, but just because you feel grief, cause you can't, you aren't able to have your wedding in the way that you'd like. Mm-hmm. What if feeling into that creates space for others to feel theirs too? Mm-hmm. And what if it actually makes room for them to feel their own grief as well, yeah. as opposed to perhaps putting them in a game of comparison? and taking away from their experience, you Mm. may actually create space for someone else to feel it too.
0: Yeah. I process that as a, um, that vulnerability is a key element of resilience and vulnerability in community is a key element of resilience. And so that, that brings up the question for me of who are the right people to have that vulnerability with right now? Mm -hmm. You know, who do we both trust with that and also give permission to be that that kind of like witnessing party for us, but also whose burdens do we want to actively help take on? Mm. Not in the sense that we need to solve for them, but that we we're going to be empathetically kind of with them in those challenges. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if y'all have insight on that, but who are the right people right now to be doing this, this practice with, to be sharing this with.
3: Mm, That's a good question. Can you say more about, um, like maybe just shed a little bit more light on the, on the question when you say who who are yeah. the right people?
0: So when we think about the who on the other end, I think about entrepreneurs who follow me on Twitter, who have mm-hmm. had to lay off employees mm-hmm. and shut mm-hmm. down their businesses or whatever else might be true, or even our audience here, you know, some with a very wide spectrum of change for, for audience members here. Yeah. Um, someone may have been the most profitable ever, and someone may be really struggling to earn money. And so there's the public sphere and then there's the private sphere. There's the people really around us all the time. There's family, there's close friends and and I think this is a really important case to be intentional about where we're sharing. Yeah. Who, you know, not just the tree we're sitting with, but then I think the power in that is that it can translate to the trusted others that we want to let in. Yeah. And so I guess like who are the right people to be letting in right now so that we can do this in a way that feels good and safe and right? Or how do we determine who the right people are might be the better question.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a huge question. Um, my mind is going to a a lot of different places. You know, one of the first places it went was thinking about the work that we've done at Reboot to try to, in a variety of different contexts, create safe spaces for entrepreneurs to connect with one another. And so, while I don't think I can answer this question, obviously, for all the different unique individuals who may be listening, what I would say is a couple of things you'd want to think about sharing with people that you feel like will be able to listen and connect without getting um, maybe so triggered and so wrapped up in their own anxiety that their response would actually make you feel um, invisible or unmet. So, in, in some cases... Your closest family, perhaps even the family that you live with, may have a hard time providing that particular kind of support for you at at any given time. And if that's the case, I want the listeners to know that um, that doesn't make you strange or, or, or weird or out of the ordinary. That's actually, it can be quite normal. The things I would be looking for is someone who may have enough of a shared context with you that they could understand where you're coming from, empathize with what you're feeling and experiencing, but also with whom you might have enough of a shared agreement that, hey, we're in this to support each other, but we're not going to do is try to take on the burden to fix and solve for each other, um, because then that ends up uh, creating the kind of conditions that make people feel invisible and missed. And I feel like you're treating me as a problem to be solved, as opposed to a human being to be met.
2: Hopefully that's helpful. I don't know, Dan. Anything you'd add to that? Uh, no, I think that's a great answer. And I maybe one thing I'd add is uh, I actually really love the the sentiment behind the question, Barrett, which is, or the message behind the question, which is, um, you don't have to face this alone. Yeah. Uh, there's no reason to face yeah. this alone. Yeah. Whether you're a solopreneur or a solo creator or you know you leader of a of a company with a large group of people, no one needs to or should face this alone. And there are people to turn to who can support you. And and I think what Andy said around finding those who are uh, ready and willing to hear you and hear what you have to offer and not look to solve it or fix it is really important. But I don't know that I would add more to that. I think that was well said, Andy.
0: Uh, this is um, a classic situation with people who have wisdom, which is, I don't think there's a right answer. That's how I interpret that there's not a right answer. And so it really comes down to, a judgment of who are the people who can go there with you basically yeah. and who are yeah. the people that you're prepared to go there with. And so the two messages I'd send related to that is there certainly, or hopefully there are people in your life who can go there and being intentional about who they are rather than setting yourself up. Cause there's another thing we sometimes do, which is knowingly enter into that conversation with the wrong people mm-hmm. because it will validate our feelings of, or lack of validation, I guess. You know, it will kind of like confirm that our feelings are not valid. Mm-hmm. And so being really intentional about seeking out the right people right now will allow you to sit with what you're feeling in the right ways, I think. Mm-hmm. Is kind of my takeaway there. The other thing that I heard in that is
1: when you want to if that's something that you feel like you can give in this time of creating that space for other people, being really intentional about saying, I'm just here to listen. I'm not here to solve your problems. You know, so if you're in that position of, I think, you know, a decent number of people have found themselves in of like, my business is doing better than before. Um, You know, maybe my marriage is stronger than before or any of these things where you realize like, oh, I'm actually in a good place. What should I do with that? And then maybe put out that offer and say, hey, if anyone needs help, I'm here to help. And it's not a, I'm here to help solve your problems or anything like that. It's just that I'm here to help by creating space to listen, and the one promise that I can make you is that it'll just be space and yeah. it'll just be a listening ear. It won't be solutions or like, aha, I got just three tips for you. Let, yep. me, let me solve this and turn that around because you don't need to feel that grief. We can, we can get yep. this
2: solved right away. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> and so just knowing how to show up um, to those conversations. And then maybe if you're the person asking for help where you need someone to talk to, being able to come in and say, and be clear and say i actually just need
2: somebody to listen right now yeah that's a great point i love that naming what you need the other
0: side of this that i mentioned before is that sometimes we compare ourselves to the the kind of plight of others and whether our our fears or sadness or grief is valid but but the other side is we don't feel like we can afford to feel grief there's mm-hmm. no time for that the, my needs are too great my family's needs are too great We are too threatened by the current situation to take time for that. And in terms of a creator in this environment, I think about the creator who has lost most of their income and has to figure out how to provide. The the premise of what I want to get to here is that I think it's just as important. And I think you all believe it's just as important. And so I almost wonder if we can have a little bit of a, a chat about how someone can give themselves permission to create space, even when they're coming from a place of need or fear or loss, I guess, you know, loss of income or or threat here.
1: When I would, I would add urgency is the, Mm. you know, you're saying be still and I'm saying I'm in quicksand be still is the last thing that I want to do, you know? Mm. And so how do you, how do you frame that? How do you approach it?
2: It's really hard. And I have I have been there. Um, I have been there. I have had to close companies down and stared at that rent bill coming due in 21 days and not having the money to cover it and the frantic energy around that. I know that. That's a really hard place to be. And what I know, not that I'm a quicksand expert, what I know about quicksand is the, the more you move, the more you sink. And there's something about slowing down to to speed up. And so, um, while it can feel like, oh my gosh, I'm taking this time to grieve, I really just need to be out there pounding the pavement, those actually aren't in conflict and they're actually in support of one another. And by slowing down, you're giving yourself the resources, the clarity of mind. Because another thing that's happening in the urgency is you aren't seeing things clearly. And so, you might not actually see a way out of a situation that's more clear in slowing down. It's the the forest, the trees are not lost, stand still, find your way through. And so, um, you know, one of the ways I think about it and I talk to clients about it is it's almost like the speech they give you at the beginning of of takeoff. If you're traveling with a child and the oxygen mask deploys, put it on yourself first, then put it on your child. If you aren't resourced, you're not going to be able to find a way through. You're not going to be able to uh, make your way to that opportunity that will ultimately change the situation. So, by taking the time to grieve, by taking the time to process, by taking the time to take care of yourself, um, sleeping or whatever it might be, just to reset, then you're going to be able to see the problem in a whole new light and move forward in a resourced place as opposed to a frantic place. You actually see a way out of the quicksand that Mm -hmm. perhaps you wouldn't have seen otherwise. So, it's actually an opportunity to slow down, to speed up.
3: I really think this also connects back to the other issue that I'd wanted to circle back to that you'd mentioned, Nathan, which is, Mm -hmm. um, so what the the connection I'm making here is, the question is, does slowing down and taking care of myself, is that uh, at odds with resiliency? Is that actually counter to resiliency when what I really need to be doing is hustling or is, is grieving at odds with resiliency? And I actually think the best metaphor that I can offer here is the metaphor of a plant and think about a plant that's brittle and a plant that has some some malleability to it. In fact, I'm looking, I was sitting here thinking about it. I'm looking at this jade plant that sits in my office. I'm rearranging my office. Uh, two days ago, I kicked the thing over and it literally fell completely toppled over. All the dirt came out and the jade is underneath this pile of dirt. And I, I picked it up and put it back in. And jade, it's, it is so um, kind of... Uh, I don't know, kind of movable, that plant was fine. Not, I don't even think a single leaf broke off of it. And so you think about the, a plant that's facing elements and winds blowing, and if there's some malleability to it, if it can bend, if it can actually respond a bit just enough to the elements, it's actually stronger than if it were completely brittle and it would break yeah. in the face of it. So a lot of these practices that we're talking about, learning to grieve and, and be with our grief, Learning to master that impulse that, want, that tells us move in the quicksand, all of those things are actually resilience practices. They're, they're resilient skills. They can all be learned. They can all be practiced. They can all be honed over yeah. time. But they're counterintuitive because they are counter to our, I don't know, I guess our autonomic nervous system response, which is like the fight, flight, freeze thing we were talking yeah. about earlier. Hmm.
0: That's really good. This has been a wonderful conversation. I wanna start moving towards wrapping up to make sure that we give uh, people, especially maybe some next action items. I always find when I come out of a conversation like this uh, that I feel a sense of clarity or I often feel a sense of clarity during the conversation mm-hmm. and then it, it kind of melts away or mm-hmm. evaporates as mm-hmm. time goes on. And I could imagine some listeners having that experience as well, You know, having deep moments of insight maybe for themselves during this as they think about their own experiences. And then not knowing how to get back there in their own time. And, and one of the things that I think has been really powerful about our work with you all is the ability to go away from the conversation and actually have even deeper insight into Mm -hmm. what we learned Mm -hmm. and often through journaling or through, um, resources that you offer. And so I want to touch on both of those things, starting with maybe, uh, questions for journaling that will help, uh, people listening Dig into the grief and understand maybe the path forward that might serve them best right now
2: it's a great a great question um, at our at our boot camps we we, uh, we do what we call the fire ceremony, which is um i saw a smile from, from from both of you but which is to to acknowledge really what aspects of of me and my life are coming to an end and so in preparation for that, we will often ask people to really look and say what is ending in my life what has ended what is shedding or ready to be shed and that can include the things around me but also can include aspects of myself because we as the world around us changes we are we are going through our own transformation and so if i can sit in this moment and recognize that there are things that have ended and are ending that i'm grieving and what are those things to note those for yourself there are things that are changing about me that are coming to an end. What are those things? So what is ending? What is ready to be shed? I don't know, Andy, things that you might add to that. I have others, but I'll.
3: I think that's great. I mean, it it can also be as simple as, um, for some people it may be as simple as just learning to name your feelings. Right. So that's true. What am I feeling right now? And how do I know? And the how do I know is actually having you connect that feeling, which can be like an abstract word, like sad or happy with the indicator that you're sensing in your body, because your body tells you, like you're, that, like that's the evidence. I feel tightness in my shoulders, or I feel a burning in my chest, or something like that. Even that, as simple as it sounds, can be baby steps, but really profound. I don't mean to like not baby steps in the sense of simple and not helpful. Like it's just anybody can do it, and the 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 yield the the benefit is immense, even to just doing that.
2: And I, I'm going to cheat and ask you guys, what, what do you, what practices or tools would you use to take away or integrate lessons from this conversation hmm. or conversations like this?
1: I think the first thing that I would do, I would ask myself, I'm trying to think of how I would phrase this, but what are the beliefs or the, um, the things that I, I hold to be opposing hmm. two sides of the same coin where I'm like, I can have a or B. Um, you know, and, and so like the example that we went with, you know, earlier is like, uh, grief and resilience, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, um, grief and strength or some of those things. And so just then asking the question, like, if you listed out a few of those? What are the, what are opposites that I hold to be true and, sure. and believe to be opposite? And then say, what would it look like if I could hold both of those at the mm, same time? That's great. You know, cause a, a coin can only have one side up at a time. And so you're like, okay. Mm-hmm. I think that that this is the way that it works, but what would it mean if that wasn't true? What would it mean if those were two separate things that could be held at the same time?
0: One of the practices I found, I don't know, most helpful right now is, is walking. I started off really strong in March and I, I like kept my normal workout routine. You know, I do a little kettlebell workout with this gym I go to. And sometime in April I was like, you know, that's, that's not, I can't do that anymore right now. And I just started walking and we read this book internally. I think his, the author is named Shirzad Chamani. Uh, I'll have to look him up. But anyways, it's called Positive Intelligence. I don't know if I would recommend you read the whole book, but my core takeaway was that a key element of processing feelings in a positive light is to have presence. And one of the things I found really powerful as I walk, and he he talks about this in the book, is just noticing beauty, noticing little aspects of the world that are delightful in that moment, the leaves blooming on the trees, a uh, particularly well-kept garden, a craftsman detail on the architecture of a house and how much that prepares me to be in a headspace of evaluating how I'm doing. Mm. So I think that would be one of the things I would sh- share or recommend or ask you to try is create a, a a break between whatever you were doing and what you want to do in terms of evaluating how you're doing and what you're feeling by just noticing the world, taking a walk and, and noticing little details. Or if you're not able to take a walk because maybe you're in a city with a very small space, just sitting and looking at your home and what you appreciate about it. Uh, I think there's a lot of different ways you can do this before digging in on any of these questions. Because I think, sometimes if I come in too hot to this kind of thing, I end up not having the patience or, um, the thoughtfulness that I need to actually have any insight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know if the two of you have any, uh, poems, books, resources that you might recommend for kind of embracing this mindset and processing through things like grief and feelings and building resilience, uh, during this time.
3: Yeah, there's a couple that come to mind. Um, for grief specifically, I would recommend a book called The Wild Edge of Sorrow by Frances Weller. Um pretty accessible. Obviously, I think you know the the work of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, um, Stages of Grief is is also a wonderful work and there's a couple couple of books that she and some co-authors I think have put out. But the Weller book I read right around the time I was turning 40. And it was just like so perfect for where I was at that stage of life and sort of grieving some some losses in my life. And then I also highly recommend the work of a therapist named Linda Graham. And she's written a couple of books. Uh, The first one I read was called Bouncing Back. And then she actually followed that up, I believe it was the follow-up with a book called Resilience. And what I love about that work is it's basically two books full of exercises. I mean, just chock full of journaling exercises, meditations, body exercises, like somatic exercises. And you can just flip through that and use it almost as an encyclopedia and dip into different exercises and find find ones that are helpful, but all about cultivating resilience. And it's this really nice, um, melding of both, uh, uh an awareness of mindfulness traditions historically, and also brain research. So it's like those two things together.
2: That's yeah, awesome. Those are all really good, good options. Um, maybe I'll just add two quick ones. So first, this is going to be a shameless plug, but reboot. Reboot is a fantastic book. I think that's helpful. for talking about resiliency. So forgive the shameless plug, but I also genuinely believe it's a good book. Yeah. And then um, not that it's a good book, it's a good book for this topic. In general, but the other thing is a uh, book by Pema Chodron called "Comfortable with Uncertainty." Mm. I just feel like is a really it's 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 almost like a, a series of of koans or or meditative thoughts. It's not a book you sit down and necessarily read through. You just kind of peel, pick off pieces of it, but really, really helpful. It's one I've been turning to a lot actually in this time as well. It's good. I
1: I'd, I'd echo the plug for uh, Reboot. So in the whole range of things, right? I've been to a reboot camp, read the book, done the coaching. But one thing that was actually really helpful was uh, my wife, Hillary, reading the book because it was the most like condensed version of, you know, all this stuff, right? You try to explain all this and you're like, this is what I feel and this is the inputs from it. And, oh, but here's this other thing. And then there was that experience and, Hmm. you know, there's so much to explain to bring someone else along, you know, and maybe even as, you like watch this episode or listen to it. And then you're trying to explain some of these things to someone else, like having some of that shared language that the book reboot was that for me to be able to go to Hillary and then her read that and us to talk through it together.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, those are all really good ones and, uh, I w- I would support all of them. Uh, we share resources every day, so I'm not going to burden you with more after sharing <laughs> a couple of good books from these two, these two pros. Um, Before we wrap up, Dan and Andy, is there anything you want to kind of leave uh, people listening with uh, as a summary of this episode or or even just something completely separate?
3: You know, what just popped right into my mind was you're not alone. Hmm. You're not alone. Whatever you may be experiencing right now, you know, in in the, the current conditions that we're all living in, if there's a little question in the back of your mind about whether something in you is broken or whether you you must be crazy or there must be this must be indicative of something being wrong with you it's just not the case you're not alone this is hard what everybody's experiencing right now is hard and so if it if you're having trouble sleeping if you're sleeping more if you're having trouble finding joy in things that would typically bring you joy whatever it might be just know that there's nothing wrong with you
2: i that's really well said. He stole mine, Andy. Uh, no, but I mean, uh, just a quick build on that is, and Jerry said this, my colleague Jerry said this to to us uh, a few weeks ago, all of humanity, this is one of the rare instances where we can truly say all of humanity is exposed and experiencing this in their own way. So we truly are in this together. In a weird way, it kind of brings us together. Yeah. It can bring us together. Mm-hmm. So not only are you not alone, but we're even potentially more together.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Nathan, any closing thoughts from you?
1: No, I was just going to say that that's a fant- fantastic place to leave it. Thank you both for joining us. Um, quick plug for tomorrow's episode. We're going to have uh, our coworker, Isa, come on. Um, actually, Barrett's going to take a break from the from the podcast. And Isa and I are going to talk <laughs> about creative lessons learned and ins- lessons and inspiration from uh, Hamilton, one of our favorite.
2: Oh, awesome. fun. Yeah. Well, I'll so, be watching. <laughs> should be good. Um, awesome. All right. Well, thank you both for having us. Yeah.
0: Dan and Andy, this is a real treat to have the two of you with us. And, um, you'll notice as you listen along with us that we go back and forth between execution and between maybe what you might consider softer topics like this, because some of our greatest learnings, Nathan and mine have been that we can't just power through everything. You have to also slow down and, and be contemplative and make sure that you're checking in with yourself in order to make the progress that you want to make. And, um, I don't mean some people don't listen to some of the episodes, but what we're trying to give you is a full picture of what it's like to actually live this creative life. And so hopefully this helps you along your journey. So thanks for listening to uh, the full hour episode today and Andy and Dan is a real gift to have you here.
3: Thanks for having us. Thanks for doing this. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to The Future Belongs to Creators. We're the makers of ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. To start building your audience with a landing page and to send emails up to 500 subscribers for free, go to landingpage.new. That's landingpage.new to get started with the free ConvertKit account today. We'll see you next time.